episode number 80 of the rock and roll research podcast where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust i'm super excited to welcome today's guest uh my old colleague rogerio montero now today rogerio is the global chief client officer for a really cool company called worthix uh, which offers a customer value alignment platform we'll talk about that in a minute He's been there for the last, oh, five plus years, I guess. Um, now, we met uh, in the mid-teens, mid-20-teens, when we were working together at GFK, which was really cool. Uh, but I know that you started your career in Brazil, working on the client side for great companies like General Motors and Mondelez. And along the way, you've had some senior roles at uh, at, at uh, suppliers like Ipsos and Kantar as well. Uh, I should mention also that you're helping to uh, to steward the next generation of researchers along uh, by serving on the board uh, for the MSMR program at Michigan State. So good on you. That's very cool stuff. Now, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of cool things about Rogerio. So. If you know Rogerio, you know he's cool. Um, so you might not be surprised to learn that he's a surfer, uh, but we got to talking when we ran into each other at uh, TMRE in San Antonio a couple of weeks ago about this really interesting story. He had me on pins and needles captivated, uh, telling me about his uh, early entrepreneurial story back in Brazil. <laughs> that nearly sunk him financially, or maybe nearly is not the right <laughs> word. <laughs> maybe it just did. Um, but a uh, fascinating story and lots of lessons to learn. So looking forward to chatting about all those things and more. Welcome to the podcast, Rogerio. Well, Matt, thank you so much. Uh, like I said, well, I hope I had to keep the same engagement that you opened this conversation. So looking forward to that. Thank you so much. I feel honored to to be talking to you and your audience. I just love it to see you again after, you know, quite a bit of years, I would say, right? Yeah. Uh, the TMRE. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm ready here to, to talk to you and then the audience. So, so let's roll it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I was so excited. Uh, heading to the exhibit hall in TMRE, I'm like, that's Rogerio and we haven't talked in a while. So <laughs> awesome, it's great to, great to reconnect. So- yeah, super happy to have you on the program. Uh, well, let's start where, where I always like to start. Uh, and that's that's on the research side, right? So you've been in this space for a good long time. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you get started or how you got started and then and then bring us to the current day and tell us a bit about Worthix. Awesome. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I. I'm a big talker, right? I mean, you know me, so yeah, I'm always talking maybe a little bit, even more than I should, I would say. So uh, even when I was choosing what to do for college, you know, I picked marketing because at that time, you know, 20 plus years ago, I just wanted something that you can talk and you can try to persuade people. So I, I was always like within that helm of a thought what to do, right? Right. I think I picked the right thing, which was doing marketing. And eventually I, I went to New York and I did the marketing and advertising post-grad at NYU and all that. Great. So after that, uh, I started at uh, train as a trainee for HP. That was actually my very first job. 
Okay. HP, I went to YNR, which is still to this day a big ad agency. Yeah. Right? Young and Rubicam, right? That's right. Yes. Yes. Yep. I used to say all the time YNR, but yeah, back in the day, I used to say you were Young Rubicam. That's right. <laughs> and um, and uh, kind of how I got into research, it was really, uh, and I remember to this date, I was preparing a lot of envelopes, like a, a pack of like 50 or 60 envelopes in my home. No internet at that time, right? And I was looking for a job, right? I'm ready to get out of college, that kind of stuff. And I remember one of those envelopes was to General Motors, right? In okay. Brazil. Yeah. And uh, I was called to an interview and, you know, after a few steps, everything went right. And that's when I started, that's my first step as, you know, let's say more into the insights world. So say I started as a junior analyst at uh, General Motors Brazil, right? Cool. And just to short that story, after a few years, the, the cool about GM is that I was running a, a multi-country program. So, you know, still a young guy, but I could go to places like, you know, from Dubai, you know, in the UAE to South Africa, to Morocco, yeah. to Egypt, so on wow. and so forth. Yeah, because uh, GM at that time used to run not only the Latin region, but what they used to call uh, Latamo, which is also Middle East, right? Okay. So spent a few years there and then I had a, a chance to go to Kraft Foods and you're right, as you said in the beginning, now I'm on the lease. Uh, at Kraft for me was kind of like a step up because I started to manage a team that uh, used to handle uh, uh, snacks, which at that time uh, is basically chocolates and snacks category, right? So okay. the famous biscuits and chocolate brands and all that kind of stuff, which right. was really good. <laughs> and, and uh, there was a little bit of a hiccup, I would say, but I'll, I'll talk a little bit, I think, as you go along this conversation, because when I left Kraft, I decided to, to do an entrepreneurship for about a year with a couple of colleagues. So I'll skip that for now. Okay. But just in the continuation of the insights piece, you know, so leaving from the client side for about five years or so to the supplier side and, and kind of my journey was expertise, which is a mid-sized company in Brazil, and then I went to GFK, and then uh, Ipsos, and then Kantar, and finally Wortex, right? Right. At GFK, I not only worked in Brazil, but I was expect also to the U.S., and that's when we start meeting each other, right? Because uh, I spent at least two to three years here in the U.S. Uh, for GFK, and that's when I met you. Right. So, yeah, so it's been, a, you know, quite a bit of a journey in those companies. And kind of like what led me to Wordex back in 2017 is, you know, being this, let's call traditional industry for about, you know, supplier side for about 13 years, I guess, or so. Mm -hmm. uh, I met our founder and CEO, and, and by a very big coincidence, we had the same mentor in the past. And I oh, used okay. to lead the, the West Coast business for, for Cantor, uh, the TNS division, right? And when Guy, our founder and CEO, went to San Francisco to start developing Wortex with the UC Berkeley professors, this mentor ours said, hey, there's someone in San Fran that you should meet for sure and all that. <laughs> so at that time, I just met him and, and his brother and a couple of colleagues, like as a meet and greet, where to go in the city, what to do, and those kinds of things, right? But as he was evolving the technology and developing the technology, we, you know, how can I say, we started to flirt a little bit and potentially yeah. working together. <laughs> and I would say that flirting took about 
a year and a half or so, because at that time I was invited to go back to Brazil to lead the loyalty business for Ipsos. And the Florida keeps going and keeps going and eventually became a marriage. So let's put it this way. Yeah. That's when I decided to go to WordPix. And kind of like the trigger for me was, okay, you know, I, I, I can not think enough all of these companies from everything that I've learned, right? These big companies and work with big clients and, you know, global right. accounts and traveling a lot and so on. But kind of the proposition of Wordix, and I already explained a little bit, you know, it was really an innovation that is completely different from everything that I've seen before. So in a nutshell, uh, we are not in the space of measuring satisfaction, NPS, and those kinds of things. We're more in the space to measure value, what truly value means for the customers. But the way that we do that, it's kind of like a outside-in approach. So it's an AI, it's the only AI in the world in the front end to converse with the customer. So instead okay. of designing a questionnaire, we focus in what Matt wants to talk about, about a product or service that we're measuring. Right, and, uh, and I just got fascinated about you know this value prop, and at that time we're like tiny, like really tiny company. Yeah. And I uh, I decided it was kind of like a big bat and big risk, and uh, I remember it hurt a lot of my stomach, and my <laughs> wife was like nerve wracking for a few months, right? And uh, unfortunately, the journey went pretty well, and been a little bit over five years now. Uh, and, and today I lead uh, some of our global accounts, so it's beyond the U.S. Of course, some of those in Brazil, too, because of the language, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and continue to grow, continue to looking for talents and helping the, pe the, the company and the people to grow. So that's, that's pretty much it, kind of the summary of all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And what kinds of uh, companies are you working with at Worthix? Yeah, we work, uh, it's a full range uh, from, that goes from automotive to financial services, to insurance, to telecom, uh, you know, within financial service, I'm talking about, you know, from banks. So within banks like credit cards and sure. mortgages and so on and so forth. So everything that has a lot of volume in terms of clients is, is our core, right? Yeah. The telecom, you got millions of clients. The automotive, yeah, you got tons of clients insurance and so on and so forth. So all of these companies, retail is a big one too. Uh, okay. So all of these clients that have tons of database and tons of contacts, that's sure. kind of like our core because yeah. we, we really bring, uh, I would say, it's almost like a qualitative at scale what we do for our clients, right? So these yeah. things we do for them, yep. Yeah, you know, you said something as you're describing uh, what you do, um, and instead of writing a questionnaire, you talk about what I want to talk about, right? And I think about so many times as a survey taker, uh, where I've been presented a survey about a brand or a company or an experience, and I answer all of these closed-ended questions, and I never get to say, you know, I've got something that's like, oh, there's something I really want to say about this. And I finished this survey and I never had the opportunity. So does this help mitigate that kind of frustration? Absolutely, yes. So not only that, you're spot on. So what you're talking is more related to the not only the length of the questionnaire, but you're you're you can't wait to talk about the heated pool in the hotel that you've been to. But all the questions about the waiting time, the hostess, yeah. and the you know, the cleanness of the room, and you're like, I want to talk about the pool. So you're right. So, I mean, we, we got right into the heart of what people want to talk about. So it's really like reversing that process. 
I particularly I'm fascinated about the value piece because you know, say that you're in a entertainment, a theme park, right? You right. might heavily complain about the line because nobody likes to be in lines. Right. Uh, any traditional survey would tell to that park that look, I mean, this is the most frequent complaint, and you should fix that. Whereas Vortex could say, yes, this is the most frequent complaint, but is not necessarily harming your perception of value, and you still go back to that park you know, every year with your family. So right, you right. the credit card that you heavily complain, but you're not canceling that credit card because Got of it. that complaint. So we kind of like separate the weeds from the chef from all the complaints that people are talking about what is yeah. truly harming value as yep. well as the positive side of things. So it's kind of like in a more strategic output, so to say, to lead to prioritization of actions and things like that. Yep. Yeah, got it, got it. Cool, makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, so when I learned that you're a surfer, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly surprised by that. So, <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my, uh, I was about uh, ten to twelve or so. Uh, my parents bought an apartment uh, on a beach in Brazil called Guarujá, and it's just about an hour and a half from São Paulo, the capital, right? Okay. Um, so it was pretty convenient for us to go at all times, almost every weekend, so to say, not to mention, you know, the longer vacation periods and all that. And it was just a couple of blocks from the beach. And I, I, I just started to, you know, I don't have like a hard time to make new friends, right? As I, I think you can probably tell. So in a fairly quick fashion, I, you know, I met some neighbors and you know, parties that we've been to and all that. And, and oh, you serve? No, I don't. And, and I bought my first board. I remember it was not easy, but I, I just I just got into the love of it for many reasons, right? I mean, it really, at that time, I, I, don't, I, I cannot say that I had a lot of stress, but it's just a really good exercise, number one. I've always liked water. I've always liked to swim and I always like to be in the ocean. And uh, when you really start to surf, you know, just uh, just that moment doesn't last long, but why are in the wave? I don't know, you feel like a dolphin, you feel like, oh my God, you know, it, it, it's a pleasure that only who, someone that did that can describe, right? Yeah. Something like that, and not to mention the, the wipeouts, you know, sometimes that you have, <laughs> yeah. and you really have a shaky ocean, and I used to be like far down, like I sometimes I got scared because, you know, you know, that strap sometimes just erupts and, and your board goes away and you have to swim back to the shore. And yeah. sometimes it's pulling you back and another surfer comes to help you. So, or some wipeouts that you really go down deep and yeah. you're losing your breath. So, and it's really interesting. And that's when those kinds of like more extreme sport, they're never rational because losing my breath, that probably happened like 10 times that I was extremely scared. And right. I continue to go surfing yeah. on, the, on a bad day, right? It's just something that pulls you back to the water, right? Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. But yeah, it's a, it's a combination of just enjoying nature, having fun with friends. And uh, yeah, and, and that's it. And it's really, it's really amazing. I don't think there's an age, you know, to surf, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I've never surfed, but I've always been intrigued by it for exactly what you said. I've heard that before. It's like when you have that feeling when you're on the wave it's irreplaceable it's like nothing else and so 
So yeah, you're you're worried about losing your life after some horrible wipeout and you get back on the board because you're in search of that feeling once again. Yeah. That's right. And there's one thing that, you know, a lot of people that don't surf wouldn't know that uh, when you see on TV, you don't think about those things, right? When you go to a, to a foreign beach that you don't know the locals, so if you take the wave and cross in front of them, like sometimes there are like fights <laughs> at the water. People start fighting. Surf war. Punching. Or yeah, sometimes they came and like give me a punch on the, on the back and say, get out of here. You're not local and things like that. that that's very common in Hawaii. Uh, I've never been to, to the giant waves in Hawaii, but I did surf on the, on the low season because yeah. you still have like brilliant waves to surf. But of course, not those crazy ones that I, I I don't I just don't have the the courageous to do that, right? Yeah. Like in Hawaii, yeah, people are, are very local. Like they don't want you to be in the bad spots. They just yeah. knock you out unless you know someone that bring you in. To right. The club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too funny. Yeah, the whole culture. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 When you see yeah. that crowd on TV, I mean, there's always. You know, there's always like, you think about like a boxing, you know, area, there's always something going on there. <laughs> Too funny. That's awesome. Cool. Um, all right. So <laughs> one thing I love about this podcast, actually my favorite thing is I get to hear all of these, these really fascinating stories and I just, I just eat them up. Uh, and so when we sat down and we're catching up and you're telling me this story about, and of course it's got a music connection, right? Um, That's your your first uh entrepreneurial adventure um and it was really an adventure so why don't you share that story with us yeah oh gosh okay so yeah so right after uh Mondelez, you know there was two friends of mine one is a doctor the other one was a, a banker i mean and they too were already like doing pretty well in life and i was still you know, building my house brick by brick, so to say, right? From an, from a savings perspective, right? Right. And uh, one other friend was already doing, you know, some 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 shows with cool bands and all that, and he was progressing pretty well. And okay. he said, guys, I think you should, you know, think about this because I mean, there's a space for everybody in this arena, right? So first it, thing, he was a he was a promoter, a music. Promoter. He was a promoter, right? Oh, he said, hey, yeah. you guys should get together and be a promoter, also do that kind of thing because it's great. And he told us like glowing stories about wow, yeah, wow, looks like it's really promising, right? Yeah. So uh, the first mistake that we did, we started too big. So we we rented a place that fits like thirty five thousand people. Uh, <laughs> And it's really expensive. So I put, imagine I'd really drain all of my savings into this. Big time. <laughs> big time, big time. Like, like everything on my combined years, I put that in. So we rented that place. At that time, I'm not a big fan of country music, but at that time, you know, there's this particular group or band that was really good. And, and every, every time that they play, it's like 20, 30,000 people, right? Right. And this story is particularly in Brazil and in Sao Paulo in September is typically a dry season, right? You okay. don't have rain a lot. And if you do, it's just like, a, you know, a little drizzle for like half a day or so. And, but that's it. 
So when we saw kind of like the weather forecast was the best time, because one thing that I learned is that 80% of the tickets that are sold are pre-sold tickets, right? So people buy in advance pre-sale, right? Yeah, then, uh, then you know you know where you're at, right? That's right, yeah. People go online and all that and they buy or they, you know, we, we did even a partnership with a telecom company in like 65 malls in Sao Paulo that people could buy the, the tickets. I mean, there's nothing more perfect, right? I mean, yeah, because, yeah. you know, we, we could, we put the logo of that telecom company on the ticket and all that. So everything was so perfect. So uh, the pre-sale typically happens kind of like the bulk of it typically happens in about uh, two to three weeks before the actual day, right? Okay. And, uh, and, and the week before even more. So during that two to three week timing that I'm describing, Sao Paulo temperature was like 25 degrees lower than typically is. So it was oh. kind of like, I would say kind of like 45 to 50 was kind of chilly and it was was it, was it an was it an outdoor venue that you had outdoor right uh, okay okay <laughs> yes it was dry season right so, <laughs> yeah so lower temperature a lot lower than, than typically is and raining every single day for like two and a half weeks oh. so we're supposed to have or we thought we would have from 25 to 30,000 people and we barely got to the 3,000. So oh. it was like a huge loss. I oh. never saw so many pilots of beer that was completely untouched because we bought so much in advance, you oh. know. And after that huge loss, there's a lot of 50% payment that we still owe to the people who make, you know, all the infrastructure and you know, down to to police that you have to pay, you know, a certain fee because they block traffic and things like that. So the city kind of dedicates policemen to that. You have to pay for that kind of service. There's so much. So not only the loss was like tremendous, you still had a lot of bills to pay. <laughs> oh. oh. And I remember just to finish this story, I remember when I went back home, I remember laying down my bed and I probably cried nonstop. I don't know how, I, I still don't know to this day, like how much water can get out of your eyes nonstop for such, it was like, like more than half an hour, but like it just didn't stop because you're like, how come this happened the way it happened, right? Oh. But I think, uh, you know, and there's something that I'll mention in a second, you know, when you go through this, you you just develop something inside you about I have to get up on my feet again. I have to fight. I have to make it up, you know, for my own life. And, you know, I know. And then you start to think about other situations that people are in even a lot worse shape in life right. because right. of health and because of whatever. And you just start putting things into perspective to, to even balance your head a little bit and just, right, get a little bit centered and back to normal. So, I mean, of course, explaining this, it wasn't easy, but I, I, I did, you know, I did a kind of like a self-motivation, you know, routine to just get up on my feet. And then I went back 
to research. And then I landed at expertise, GFK, and that route that I told you before. So, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think everybody has a piece of that in life, right? I mean, we all we all have our ups and downs and financially speaking and even emotionally speaking, because it was a hard hit. This was yeah. definitely like a really downside of my life. 2005. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a hard, hard set of lessons to learn. Uh, so did, did that uh, fast forward enough? So Thank goodness you had you had research to welcome you back, right? Um, but then I'm I'm thinking about uh, your decision to join Worthix, you know, very very tiny company at the time that you joined. Um, did did your previous experience did that enter your calculus at all? Did that scare you or? It did. Uh, I think. Uh, well, that experience was way back in 2005, right? But I think. Uh, to your point, the lessons learned are always with you, right? Right. And uh, uh, I would say yes, definitely. It's embedded in my just in my brain what happened, and and me, you know, being as a fighter to never give up and that kind of thing. So I think that definitely yes. I'll, I'll tell you precisely what made my decision, among other things. But I would say the the biggest decision was was that one thing. Uh, I have two brothers, one younger, one, one older. The older brother, he's a, he's, he's a CEO of a bank, so he does pretty well. And uh, I respect him a lot as an executive, right? Right. And, uh, and I remember I had the conversation with him and my, my son was still a baby. My wife had quit job, right? And I had a pretty stable position, you know, at Ipsos and all that. And, uh, and I remember that I talked to my brother about, you know, I want so badly to go to Vortex, right? But but all of these comfort or situation that you feel stable, right? And then uh, if, if this is, a, I think it's a cool thing to share with your audience, he said to me, among other things, but this was the one thing that really caught me. He said, I think you should look into your bank accounts and see if you can survive. If everything goes wrong, if you can survive for a year and a half, right? So if the answer is yes, so you're keeping the same pattern of your life nowadays, and with the bank, with the money that you have in the bank, you can survive for a, a year and a half, I would say go, because it's very likely if everything goes wrong, I don't think it's going to take more than a year and a half for you to be back to the market. You might be back to the market, not necessarily in the position that you want it, or the salary that you want, the compensation that you want, or whatever. But I think you you get back to your feet within a year and a half, and maybe not as you wish, but still, right? So sure. it was kind of like that equation that I, I saw in my mind and look at the numbers too. Yeah. That made me, you know what? I'll do it. So yeah, so then I, I just felt confident that I could do it. But with that being said, right, of course, I mean, it's not an easy decision. And, and that was also implying me to go back to the U.S. That was part of the equation, right? Right. Which, which I, was, I was very happy about. But, uh, but it's just, you know, just, just this journey to the new, right? And still yeah. completely small. How many clients? No clients. <laughs> <laughs> so you build everything from scratch, which is, which is really fascinating, right? I remember in a, in, a, in a board like this right next to me here now, 
like the storytelling that we should talk to customers so things like that so yeah it's, it's really fascinating so ah it's such a such a great story and here you're uh, past uh, past five years now and kicking ass. So it's it's great. It's great. There's one thing that I forgot to mention, uh, and it's related to everything we're talking here, right? But this is within 20 plus years of experience. This is the most remarkable story that I learned on a leadership training that I like to share to people that I like, uh, which is this guy was saying that anybody on planet Earth plans the our life or the path of our life in a straight line right i mean sure. i want to go to college i want to do this after 10 years i want to buy a house i go want mortgage and then i want to save his retirement 401k whatever right so that, oh i'll probably go to different jobs so, so so you think about a line like this but everybody 100 percent of the people that thing that we projected it goes like that yeah. So everybody has the ups and downs and it's a completely different route with a lot of detours and all that. And these ups and downs, they are emotionally, professionally, you know, financially, financially. and so yeah. on. And so, right, we all have these stories, right? But the part that I mean, like when he was comparing this as a ECG, right? Because when yeah. you do the hard testing thing, the ECG goes like that. He said, this is life and this is the real life, the ups and downs, and everybody goes through this. Now, right. we play in the straight line, right? Remember the straight line? He says, yeah. what the straight line means? You are dead. Yeah. yeah. Said, it doesn't exist. So that, that line is when you're dead, doesn't exist. So yeah. that to me was so powerful because whatever happened in my life after that training, that leadership training, I always remember this guy talking about it because yeah, yeah. life is so dynamic and it always goes in the up and downs, right? So yeah. just having that mindset and that just that story in mind helps a lot to, to put yourself back to the center when things are not so good yeah. and so on and so forth. So anyway, I thought it was kind of nice to share that too. Uh, I, I love that. There's there's a lot of comfort in that because as you're going through the ups and downs, you you somehow tell yourself that no one else is doing this, right? Everyone else is is moving along that linear path, except for me. I'm screwing up somehow, right? But no, you're not, and, and no nobody is going on that linear path. So yeah, that's, that's great. Right. Yeah, yeah. But we planned that. But we plan that way, exactly, right? We think it's gonna happen that way, it never does. <laughs> never does. It never does, yeah. Totally, totally, cool. <laughs> awesome, all right, so so here you are now, uh, and not only are you it's still, you know, in the insights world, general space, right? Um, but you're, you're kind of at the forefront of it with, you know, really cool technology. So curious to know, uh, after you know five plus years at Worthix and seeing the development of AI and the development of your own platform, what does what does the future of research look like to you? Uh, I would say you know I, I would say the first word is I think it's going to be conversational based uh, more right. and more right and just to illustrate a little bit uh, and we tried to to give the first step towards to that right but. But, but talking about the future, you know, think about 
IoT, right? And what this can provide to this world still. So think about Matt getting to his car, you know, turn the engine on and all that. And then, and then the IoT out of your infotainment starts, hey, Matt, do you have a couple of minutes to talk to me? You know, how is the bumper of your, your car? Is it smooth or hard or whatever? So it's kind of like a conversation that will go like dynamically, for example, whether in the sure. car or we're in a, you know, in a waiting you know, line or you're waiting for your physician and then you got yeah. your, your phone or something and then you're doing, I don't know, something even with the visuals or, or some robot talking to you kind of thing. So I think it's gonna be more and more. The other thing that I really, uh, this, is, this is like my biggest bet. We are, probably everybody that is, 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 is looking at this podcast now, we are the PowerPoint age, right? Right. We all grew up with PowerPoint. Well, I would say not back in the day, <laughs> but eventually PowerPoint yeah. became the rule, right? Yeah. And, and I think PowerPoint has, uh, you know, a date and time, I think, to die. Because if you think about all the reports that we put together from an insights perspective on a PowerPoint, it's a static information, right? Sure. And more and more... Uh, the demand are for real-time information, easy right. to look at, draw decisions quickly, easy to maneuver. So I'm looking at the U.S. as a whole, but now I want to see the difference between California versus New York. You should be able to do that in two clicks and, brrr, and right? So for right. example, we're working, you know, around those lines. So we're trying to move away from the traditional things to a more kind of like fast pacing and, and fast uh, visualization of things and, and improving more and more the layout and the, how is slick and seamless could be for you to, to draw insights from, from what you're paying for, right? And in that sense, I mean, you know, I think PowerPoint, once you get into that mode, because it's a breakthrough, right? People have to really be ready for that mindset change and invite themselves to come to this world and typically when they do and they start embracing that and get interested in that, they start looking at the PowerPoint from a dinosaur era. Yeah, totally. That being said, of course, I mean, we do like one pagers, executive summaries and all that. Of course we do that too. But I think there is a trend that uh, more and more people want to get away from those big files, 80 pages, 100 pages, because we know nobody reads that. But yeah. we continue to do that, right? And that's the fun part, right? You still have, you know, for example, in automotive, and that's no secret. If you buy a car, you still get an envelope with 155 questions, you know, yeah. on a 10-page thing. And then when you ask, you know, clients, I mean, I mean, the, the automotive companies, I mean, they're like, I can't believe we still do that. <laughs> so why do you continue to do that, right? So yeah. But because we've always done this way, so there's always like a need of a mindset change of someone to really come and like turn to the to what is next, right? Yeah. And I think there's a lot there's a lot to happen. So yeah, that's a little bit of my view. Here, here, you're preaching to the choir <laughs> for sure. <laughs> awesome. That's right. All right, Rogerio. So you're you're a busy guy, right? Uh, You've got, uh, I'm guessing, not a whole lot of downtime, but 
When you think about the media that you choose to consume for, I don't know, insight or enjoyment or information, what what, what are you turning to? You know, it's funny. Uh, all of us, right, when we have our streaming or cable TV, whatever that is at home, and you have like that 150 channels and you really watch two or three, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It feels so wasteful sometimes. That's right. Uh, I'm a combination nowadays of whatever it's in the, you know, Prime Video, Netflix, and National Geographic. And I want to mention National Geographic as kind of like what I want to talk about. Sometimes I send Netflix something related to it, but I think that goes back a little bit to the surfing. So I've always enjoyed nature, but when I talk about nature, just going a little bit more, expanding that word, I love, for example, I've watched probably any documentary you ask about enigmas of the universe, how the universe was built, how the moon was built, you know, how the sun was born. I watched all of those things. I just love, you know, this whole thing about the universe. We're just a tiny little thing in the middle of something that is, it's even, it's even hard to conceive how big is the universe, right? So universe wild Africa, lions against hyenas and all that. I just love that. <laughs> and ancient, ancient Egypt, I, I just love it. And I've yeah. been to Egypt and maybe when I, when I went there, I got this, you know, just fascinated perspective about, my God, how did they do this pyramid? How did they yeah. carve this stone, you know, you know, with their hands? I mean, with just like tools? Medieval tools, and it's just it's just mind blowing, right? I mean, you just yeah. cannot believe what you're seeing in front of your eyes. So, like the Egypt stuff, universe stuff, and wildlife, this is like eighty percent of my downtime in front of the TV. Other than that, just like you know, morning news and things like that. But yeah, those three pieces are really what I love to to watch. Oh, cool, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, um, you know, this is the, the rock and roll research podcast, Rogerio. Um, you know, we, we touched on music with your uh, entrepreneurship story, uh, but this is, this is what I really want to know here. And in particular, because you're from Brazil, you're from Brazil. I'm a metalhead. Sepultura is an awesome metal band from Brazil. So don't, don't let that don't let that bias your answers here. <laughs> but uh, let's say Rogerio, you're you're stranded on on a desert island. Um, maybe you've got a surfboard. Uh, it could be. Um, but what I do know you have is you have a record player uh, because vinyl is cool. So you've got a record player, and you can choose three records to keep you company for the rest of your days. What are they? Uh, I would say the. The gonna fly now, you know that Rocky Balboa song, you know. <laughs> oh yes, yes, uh, the Rocky funny. theme. <laughs> I think that is because you know, whenever the, the date was of that movie, right? Maybe twenty years ago or so, whatever. I no, watched that longer, movie like longer than that, Rogeri. <laughs> I watched that movie like 50, 15 times, or maybe twenty-five times, right? But that song has a lot about res- resilience and right. Yeah. I mean, just uh, don't give up, and that and that ties back to a little bit of the stories that I told you. So I think that would be like one. The uh, the second one, 
like you said, I'm from Brazil, so definitely a samba song. Yeah. And I would have many names here, but just the samba has this kind of a, you know, just the joy, right? I mean, just bring the smiles in the face. It just pumps people up. You know, if people are yeah. sitting, they get up on their feet when they start to hear a samba and all that. So that would be yeah. definitely the, the number two. You, you, can't, uh, you can't possibly yeah. be in a bad mood, even by yourself on an island, if you're playing samba. That's right. Yes. yes. <laughs> no if, doubt. If you've been to one of the, what we call the, you know, Hodas de Samba, which is like, you know, when people get in a circle and start some music like that, I mean, yeah, there's no way to be still. People start moving. You know? <laughs> yeah. even, even if you're like the most conservative person in the world, <laughs> people still do something like this, you know, they still like move a little bit because yeah. you just cannot be still right i mean it's, yes. it's really interesting it's really powerful what the music does to you right yes the third one if you allow me to go a little bit offside here um because if i have like a you know something that is a, like a player record thing might not be necessarily but um nowadays i have this app and let's say that i would have i don't know i think we're gonna have something like power Powered by the sun, so I can keep my cell phone always with the battery on or something, and with the signal. Just, just for the sake of uh, of what I want to say, the concept behind. So, as you said, right? I mean, the, the the life is already really stressful in our daily work, and you know, sometimes even drains a little bit of my sleep time. It just the roller coaster in your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. And, uh, and most recently, I have this app called Calm. And it's oh. really interesting that, you know, and, and because if I'm on a stranded island and like, oh, damn, I'm going to die here. <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, all of these chapters and different professionals that you have in this app and all the chapters is about eight to 10 minutes. So it's they're quick, right? But the they are said in a, in a pace and in a tone of voice that calms you down, that put things into perspective, that, you know, controls a lot of the breathing and all that. So even if you're like in a such beautiful island and all that, and you might be hungry and all that, and you might be crying because you're not seeing anybody else and all that. So I would love to have access to Calm. <laughs> yeah. Because this app has been, you know, a really big ally for me. Yeah. You know, almost like as a personal therapy that uh, honestly, people people laugh and take pictures here in the office at all times. I literally almost every day after lunch, I lay down a couch that is like in the middle of our office or not exactly in the middle, but kind of like everybody can see. Yeah. And I just put a little thing here on my eyes, you know, to cover my eyes and I just lay down. And sometimes I even like fall asleep within like, five to six minutes because it just yeah. it just it just gives you a pause right uh yeah. mental just a mental pause that is really important so even if it's like 10 to 15 minutes uh to me it's really re-energizing so if i'm in that kind of island and i start to be sometimes depressive and all that i think that would be my third one even though even though it's not a record <laughs> or song per se sure. if you allow me to put that down too yeah. i would I'll let you get away with it this time. I do have I do have one question though to ask Rogerio. So this uh, this Brazilian country band uh, that you promoted back in the day does it instantly put you in a horrible mood if you ever hear their music nowadays? 
<laughs> you see that I almost choke? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> sometimes and it happened. Right? I mean, sometimes I just, just I don't know, I'm just like, you know, watching news or something and or watching like a you know comedy show and they're like being hosted or whatever. It chills me, yes, absolutely. Oh god. I don't even want to talk about them or their names. I know it's oh god, yeah, no, completely. It chills me. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a it's the mix of the feelings, right? But yeah, definitely more the bads, even though okay, resilience came snacks and you know. Okay, you you made it up, and you're right. I mean, you you built something in your life, in your career, and all that. But but no, yeah. I mean, it still still comes a lot of uh, a lot of the dark side, you know. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the question. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. <laughs> all right. Well, th this has been a great, really great chat. I really appreciate you sharing uh, sort of a tough story from your past, and uh, it, I think it's a great springboard for you to also share all of the things that uh that you've done along the way that have you know helped you turn it around and uh now here you are back and better than ever uh so uh really great to reconnect uh so happy to see you at tmre and glad to share a conversation with you here rogerio let's do it again soon and rock and roll <laughs>